0: Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. So let me start by saying uh, how humbled and delighted I am to be back here with you. Uh, in St. Martin's and in this great city of Houston. Uh, It's such a privilege for me to be here and were the rector here, I would, of course, thank him for his invitation uh, and for uh, his friendship. Um, I say that uh, I feel very welcome. I did note that as our cantor delivered the lines that we should be delivered from eternal damnation. That was the very moment I put my foot through the door uh, of the church. Uh, But my goodness, what a wonderful cantor uh, we had. So Mark chapter 4 and verse 1 tells us that Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil It is my studied conclusion that throughout my life and probably till the day when the Lord calls me home, I am a work in progress. With St. Paul, I can confidently say, as he wrote in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15, I do not understand what I do, for what I do... I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. I feel pretty confident that if I ask for a show of hands, and please don't panic, I won't, and asked you, how much is what Paul wrote true of your life? I think there would be a few people with their hands in the air. And so we arrive in the land of temptation, in the interface of the way God wants me to live on the one hand and on the other hand, the way I actually do my life. It has occurred to me at low moments throughout my Christian life, why is it so darn hard? Why does it seem that so much of what God asks of me is counterintuitive against the way I would normally respond or react? No wonder John tells us in chapter 6 and verse 66 of his gospel that many disciples turn back. One of the translations of the Bible, it said, because they said, this teaching is too hard. I wonder if that's crossed your mind. This teaching is just too hard. None of you decided to come to church this morning so you could go home feeling guilty and less empowered than when you arrived, though it is Lent. But here's a strange thing. Some of you in the house today. Some of you effectively have turned back from Jesus. And you know that you can't put your hand on your heart and say, the focus of my life, the focus of everything I do is for Jesus. Because you know that other things have crept in. Is Jesus the primary driver of your life, of my life. And here's the weird thing, that though we know that Jesus isn't the focus of our lives, we still show up in church. Might be different reasons for that, but maybe one of them is we hope that the bits of our lives that we don't feel good about, we can come to church and somehow hide it between a, behind a veneer, of respectable church-going. Um, Oscar Wilde famously said once that a cocktail party was a social device invented to stop people meeting one another. What a tragedy if churches became places where we came to hide so that we might never meet with God. God. Is Jesus the primary driver of my life? Of course, there are many drivers in our lives, and some of them are very good things. Family, wealth creation, being popular, sex, institutional things like being a member of the choir or being in the vestry. But some of the things, some of the drivers are more destructive of our lives and those around us. I'm talking about those of you who struggle with addiction, those of you whose behavior is abusive, those who set out their stall to control the people they claim to love, those who are eaten up with insatiable envy, uncontrollable rage. And very often in churches, i found a lot of what I would call smoldering resentment. And into your life and into my life, Jesus frighteningly said these words in the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only, only those who do the will of my Father Little wonder, little wonder that disciples then and now have simply turned back. In chapter 4 and verse 1 of Matthew's Gospel, we read that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert, the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. I wonder if that's... Ever struck any of you as strange that it would be the Holy Spirit that would lead Jesus into the devil, into the desert. I know that God does test us. He wants to know how genuine we are about our faith. And it is a testimony both to the humanity and the divinity of Jesus that God wanted to put Jesus through his paces in the desert. 40 days without a bite to eat. And the first temptation is to turn stones into bread. Give me that showtime religion, said the devil. Listen to me. You are a classroom of experts when it comes to temptation. You might not be so skillful in resisting temptation, but certainly you know all about it. Matthew starts chapter 4 with the word then, a significant word in many ways, but what Matthew is trying to show us is that what is about to follow the temptations of Jesus has followed on immediately from the end of chapter 3, his baptism. Scholars have called these the preparation narratives. Jesus was being prepared for his public ministry. So at the end of um, the temptation narratives, we see that Jesus starts his ministry of preaching the kingdom of God, of healing and releasing the grace of God on planet Earth in a new way. I want to say to you that if you had chosen in your life to become a member of a religious community, a monk or a nun, one of the things that used to happen in the past, not so much today because they do this to uh, the viciate monks and nuns, they tend to have nervous breakdowns. But what they would do was for a whole year, you would exist in silence with no responsibilities whatsoever. It was called your canonical year. And the idea of that was so that in that year, hopefully you might find God afresh and find yourself afresh as well. See, Lent, in a kind of roundabout way, is the opportunity for us to try and create a little bit of wilderness around our lives in the hope that we might discover God and discover ourselves anew. You will know that Significant things happened uh, throughout biblical history in the wilderness. We're told that John the Baptist began his preaching ministry in the wilderness, and I'm sure there are a lot of you sitting there thinking to yourself, some of the sermons I've heard, that would be a very good place for them. But it was a Jewish theology. The wilderness had this ambivalent place. On the one hand, it was a place of great testing. When they traveled through the wilderness in the Old Testament, they were always in danger of running out of food, running out of water, losing hope. But God always delivered. In Numbers chapter 10, we read the amazing story of how the uh, Old Testament people of God, who've been liberated from bondage in Egypt, a terrible, oppressive life. Found themselves in the wilderness and they start murmuring against Moses. They're like, why have you brought us here? And we'd rather go back. When we were in uh, Egypt, at least we had garlic and cucumbers and a lot of vegan stuff. And God supplied their need. So on the one hand, a time of testing. On the other hand, a time of blessing. And if Lent is an opportunity for us to create a little wilderness around ourselves, just one or two things about that. Firstly, what's notable about the wilderness is the Greek word is the word Eremos. It means a quiet place. In our fast-track microwave world, finding a little solace is a really difficult thing. There are still a number of weeks left in Lent where you could sign off from work, maybe for a day, maybe for two days, and just do something on your own. I know the mums here with young children will be saying, fine chance. With a little bit of ingenuity. If you can find some space, that will help you. Second thing is in the wilderness. I think it's good to talk. It's a good time for us to fess up to the things that aren't right in our lives. And of course we need to repent before God, but I think it's always helpful to talk to somebody whose spiritual mentorship we value about what's not working. The possibilities of the wilderness. Maybe, I pray so, that you and I might find God afresh and find ourselves anew in this time of Lent. The second thing is, There is an amazing blessing we see in this temptation narrative of having a familiarity with the word of God. Every time the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus responded by quoting the Old Testament. What's slightly worrying is the devil apparently also knows the Bible. Listen, in your pilgrimage through life, Being biblically literate is not going to hurt you. And there's a very good reason for this, which is brought out in John chapter 14 and verse 6. Where Jesus is talking about the coming Holy Spirit. He says this, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. See, if you don't know God's word, if you're not familiar with it, it's going to be a much bigger job for the Holy Spirit to remind you of it. Lent may be an opportunity for you to do something that you've neglected for a while, like reading some scripture or reading a Christian book. Or maybe going on a retreat. I know there's a group at the moment, a quite large group away in the Holy Land at the moment with uh, Russ. These are good things to do. And finally, there's this amazing thing. The peace that follows you when you resist temptation Verse 11, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. I have no idea what that is, but I would like a piece of it. Can you imagine that being ministered to by angels? Maybe you've had this experience that you've overcome a temptation in your life that was messing you up and messing up those whom you love. And when you are free from it, There is a peace which passes all understanding. And to those of you who still indulge yourselves in temptations, which you know are wrecking you and wrecking the people around you, you need to know that there is hope, that there is a prize to be gained if you can resist the temptation in front of you. Let me close by saying to you that I, I wouldn't entirely recommend this, but I watched a Netflix documentary about the state of fentanyl addiction in Vancouver, city of Vancouver. Towards the end of it, the reason why I can't confidently recommend it to you is that the language of the people addicted is pretty spicy, and I know some of you are of a sensitive disposition and might not like that. But at the end of it, we meet a guy called Ronnie, a guy who from a young age has been uh, addicted to cocaine and to heroin, and more recently to fentanyl. We catch him injecting fentanyl straight into a vein in his arm. And he reflects on his life. I can't tell it to you exactly how he said it. I'd never be allowed back in church. He says, I hate my life. I hate what drugs have done to me. I wake up every morning wishing I wouldn't wake up. The idea of an overdose is almost attractive to him. Then he says something very significant. He says, there was a day before I ever got into drugs when I had a choice and somebody offered me drugs and I chose to take drugs and it's nearly killed me. And I hope it does. The rest of his day was going to be spent going to shops and shoplifting simply to get money so he could feed his habit. I'm reminded of that poor man in the story of the Good Samaritan, whose life was so degraded he had to eat pig food. Now mercifully, as far as I can best tell looking at you, you are not living on the street. Even if you are addicted, for now it even if it's only for this hallowed hour is under control. But here's the point, when we make a bad choice, we have no idea what that could open up in terms of our future discipleship with Jesus. I want to spend this Lent thinking a bit more about my status as somebody who is still a learner. Somebody who's still a work in progress. Leslie Newbigin said, the church is not a collection of spiritual giants. It's broken men and women leading others to the cross. We just sung about that, didn't we? The words of that delightful hymn. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. That cross save my life. That cross can save your life. It can save anybody whose life has been wrecked by time. I want to think again about that this Lent. And I would love it if some people would join me in that quest. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the people who agreed said together... Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.